to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 16. John, chapter 16. And I'm going to read a few verses um, through that passage of Scripture, starting at at verse 16. And uh, I want to pick back up, if you're a guest here today, our vision really for this year, uh, you see on both sides of the stage today. and, And we say it this way, that it is to live the Jesus life together. That it is to, to not just believe in Jesus. The Bible says that even the demons believe in him. So sometimes people say, well, I'm a believer. And, uh, but there's a difference between being a believer and being a follower or a disciple apprentice of Jesus. And so to experience the life of Jesus, we have to take on the lifestyle of Jesus. We have to be uh, not just believers. We also have to be obedient followers. Oftentimes when we talk about putting our faith in Jesus, we, we kind of treat faith like it is the minimal entry requirement to get into heaven. And uh, the, the Bible actually knows nothing of that sort of uh, faith that simply says, Jesus, I believe in you enough to hopefully get into heaven, but I don't actually believe in you enough to follow you. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, I am enough, I believe in you enough to kind of like you, but I'm not actually going to do what you say. There's no category of that in the Bible. And so we're talking about living the Jesus life. And uh, we're going to be circling back to this uh, series throughout the year. We started off the year with it. And so I just want to look at this uh, today. I feel like the Lord put a a word in my heart. And uh, today I want to speak to you about dealing with difficulty. I, I, I could tell you're excited about that. There's a lot of excitement. Everybody woke up this morning going, I, I really hope that he will speak on difficulty today. That's what I need in my life. I just need difficulty uh, in my life. I know most of us probably don't feel that way, uh, but hopefully by the end of this message, you will understand the significance and the importance uh, of how God uses difficulty in our lives. But I want to look at this passage of Scripture, John chapter 16, verse 16. And I'm just going to skip through this down to verse 33. I won't read the whole passage, but I'd encourage you to read it uh, later in the day or the week. But it says this, verse 16, Jesus says, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Verse 20, Most assuredly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament. Anybody on board for that. You will weep and lament, uh, but, the world will, uh, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Amen, Jen. But as soon as she is pregnant, and all the, the pregnant ladies, uh, as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish For the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. Listen to this. And your joy no one will take from you. Verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer I have overcome the world. 
Y'all are fired up today. I like it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, uh, for the faith that is in our hearts today. God, thank you, Lord, that even today, Lord, that as we are reading your word, there's encouragement and there is life that comes into our spirit today. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be attentive to you today, that our minds, uh, Lord, would, would be focused on you today. God, I pray that you would speak to us today, Father, change our lives from this day forward, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody who believes it says together, amen. Amen. Uh, psychologists say today that in our culture, there was a shift that began to happen uh, in American culture somewhere beginning around the 1970s and really continuing up until uh, today, specifically a shift in the way that the, in, in the form of parenting. Uh, prior to that, uh, parent, uh, parents basically raised their children the same way that their parents had raised their children before them, the way that their parents had raised their children before them, and so forth and so forth and so forth. But something happened in the following the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s into the 1970s that parenting began to shift from building the character of a child to building the self-esteem of the child. It, it was, at first, it was not seen. Uh, it was not highly visible. It was maybe just small uh, changes in the way that they were thinking. And, and to be honest, some of those changes uh, were in reaction or response to some, some legitimate challenges as the children of baby boomers, many of them had grown up uh, with their parents having come back, some of them from war, emotionally uh, detached from their children and uh, not having a lot of, uh, you know, heart connection with their children. And I'll never forget my grandfather, who was of that generation, what has been called the greatest generation, the World War II generation. He just could not bring himself to say the words, I love you. Anybody know somebody like that, maybe of that generation, I would say, Granddaddy, I love you. He would say, same to you, son. Or he, we love you too. He could say, we love you. But it, he just didn't have that heart connection. And that was often typical of that generation. And so in response to that, baby boomers decided, I will connect with my child, which is a great decision. But out of that, oftentimes there, there was a, a turning away from the intention of training their child, and there was a beginning, uh, 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 an emphasis on building up the self-esteem of their child, that if the child could just think well enough of themselves, that life would basically go well. That began in the 70s and really manifested fully in like the, the, the mid-90s, uh, when there began to be the emergence of what has been called over-parenting. Anybody ever heard that? Overparenting, helicopter moms and helicopter dads. Now, I'm in the midst of parenting myself, so I'm not speaking as an authority on this today, but this is what psychologists have seen and sociologists have seen has happened over the last several decades, that there has been a major shift in the way that parents raise their children. And overparenting has been defined as this, that it is to be excessively involved in the day-to-day -day life of one's child or children, typically in the desire to shield them from difficult situations to help them succeed. It is to, to be overly involved 
in order to keep your children from having to face difficulties. And so as a result, many of the things that historically have just been kind of rites of passage for children or teenagers uh, that, that were once considered normal, like uh, playing outside un, uh, unattended or maybe taking a bike ride to a, a nearby park um, or things that, uh, climbing a tree, that sort of thing that, yeah, there's a little bit of danger to it, but that was just thought of as normal. And now there has begun to be, starting in the mid-90s, there began to be a total aversion because parents were so concerned about making sure that their children did not face any difficulty. Anybody observed any of this around? Yes? So listen, listen to this, and I'm just talking about our culture, and there's a reason why this matters Um, because this directly affects our own spiritual life. Here's a a quote from uh, Jessica LaHaye in her book, The Gift of Failure, talking about the need to allow our children to face difficulty. She says, says this, Parents are too worried about their children's future achievements to allow them to work through the obstacles in their path. Kids are anxious, afraid, and risk-averse because parents are more focused on keeping their children safe, this is her words, not mine, content and happy in the moment than on parenting for competence. Greg Lukianoff, in a a book he co-wrote called The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure, says this, Listen to what he says. You can kind of guess where the book is, is going. But he says this, a culture that allows the concept of safety to creep in so far that it equates that it equates emotional discomfort with physical danger is a culture that encourages people to systematically protect one another from the very experiences embedded in daily life that they need in order to become strong and healthy. He's saying that that in an attempt to shield people from difficulty, our culture has equated difficulty and discomfort with danger. And as a result, we have actually removed our children or uh, culturally removed ourselves from the very environments that will cause us to become strong and healthy. Now, I was planning to speak about this introduction At the beginning of the week, even prior to the whole college admissions scandal, but did anybody see the news this week? I love it when God just gives me a great illustration for my message. I was when I saw that, I was like, perfect. Perfect. If you have been living under a rock this week, you would have missed that there has been a huge scandal that has swept our whole nation and that has at least captured the attention of our nation around parents using their affluence in order to get their children into schools and to try to create a life for them that perhaps they have not earned in their own you know, effort and their own ability. I mean, it, it's crazy. Even Aunt Becky is caught up in the midst of it. And, um, you know, it, it, they, they called it Operation Varsity Blues. 
And, um, you know, the interesting thing, or, uh, you know, it's understandable. I think we, any of us that are parents or any of us that just love someone would recognize that it is understandable that we would not want someone we love to have to go through a difficult or a painful experience. That is understandable. But the irony is, is that it's that very difficulty that we try to shield them from that actually is the thing that develops the maturity that will cause them to be successful in life, right? That will cause them to, to, to come into everything that they were purposed for. And, and here we look at a passage of Scripture, and, and we just can't help but recognize that God is not a helicopter parent, he is, a, he is a good, good father, as we all know, but, but he is not one to over-parent. Here Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples after spending three years with them. He's, he's trained them, he's taught them, they have watched his life, and now he's preparing to leave them to go away, which for some of us would be like, you know, no, you can't do that. Leave them, you know, leave those disciples unattended. They're not fully prepared. Well, how are they going to get there, right? But Jesus says this, let me just tell you, just, just from the get-go, in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. Anybody here have a life verse? Anybody have a life verse? Anybody life verse that's just, that's my verse? That's, anybody have this verse as your life verse? Anybody, you just wake up in the morning, you're like, in this world, you will have tribulation. Come on. Self, let's do it, right? Anybody, no, no takers. No takers on that, Right? I, I mean, most of us, that is not our uh, life verse. We're not real excited about the thought of tribulation. Anybody excited? When you just think of tribulation, like, yes, please. Anybody? No? I, I think it's only a natural response. But Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. The word tribulation in the original language is thalipsis, and it means pressure opposition, stress, crushing, squashing, squeezing. In this world, Jesus says, you will have pressure, opposition, stress, crushing, squashing, squeezing. Everybody feel real encouraged about that? Today, that, that is the reality of, of what we face. That is the world that we live in. And, and let me say this. I do believe there is different types of difficulty that we can face. There is some difficulty that is simply uh, the, the, uh, caused by the fact that we live in a fallen world. Sickness is in that category. It's, I don't believe it's God's will for anybody to be sick. Show me a time that Jesus was sick. Did he face difficulty? Yes, he did. Was he ever sick? No, he was never sick. But we live in this fallen world. And so there are some difficulties that are just, uh, that, that are the result of the fallen world that we live in. And the Bible says this, that he is with us even in those moments. 
that the Holy Spirit groans within us, that the Holy Spirit is groaning, longing for the redemption of our body. So there's some difficulty that's just the, the, just the fact that we're in a fallen world. There's some difficulty that's caused by our own foolishness. Anybody ever had some difficulty, self-inflicted difficulty? Yeah? Uh, there is some difficulty that, that's just self-inflicted. The Bible says this, that the way of a transgressor is hard. So there's some things that, you know, you can blame it on the devil, you can blame it on fault, you can get real theological about it, but some of it is just, you did some dumb stuff. You, you didn't drive in a very wise way. You didn't handle your money in a very wise way, and now you're facing some difficulty. So there is difficulty for, for those reasons, but what I'm talking about today is not difficulty because of our fallenness or even difficulty because of our foolishness, but I'm talking about difficulty that is for our formation. There is some difficulty that God actually wants us to face because He is using that difficulty to form us into the person He wants us to be. I, I faced uh, some of that myself this week. Anybody ever faced any difficulty here? Good, I'm in, I'm in good company. Can I share, you, share with you a little bit of difficulty that I faced recently? Is that all right? Um, I'll actually tell you two stories that happened to me this week, and one of them, perhaps some of you witnessed, um, you know, I told you last week, we planted this church six years ago, and, you know, I'll never forget when God called me to plant a church, it burned in my heart, and there was about 12 years of preparation, and, you know, I have to admit that when we started, I just thought, man, I'm ready. I'd gone to college. I got a degree for church ministry. I had gone through an assessment. I had done, you know, some, some training and, and preparation. And so, you know, as we were launching, I just thought, you know, man, this is, I, I know God's called me to this kind of church. We're going to be a church that is not just about a show, but we're going to be a church that is about encountering the presence of God. I know that's who we're going to be. We're going to be a church that's not just about opinions and nice ideas. We're going to be a church that's built on the, the Word of God. We want to see people's lives transformed by the Word of God. We don't want to be a church that people just kind of, you know, pop in and exchange nice pleasantries. We want to be the kind of church that people are living in deep community, loving each other, caring for each other, meeting one another's needs. When somebody's in trouble, that the rest of the church body rallies to their support. We want to be the kind of church that, that doesn't ex exist just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of, of our community and ultimately the, the benefit of the world. And I was just so filled with that vision, and I am filled with that vision, but how many of you know that oftentimes God gives you a vision for where you're going, but he doesn't tell you all the steps that you're going to have to go through to get there. He'll tell you this, is, you know, he'll give you a little glimpse of that, but he doesn't tell you the process. Uh, you know, we launched and I just thought, man, we're going to be that kind of church, the presence of God. We're going to love each other. Everybody's just going to be hungry for the word every Sunday, just on the edge of their seats. And, you know, we're just going to have people lined up out the door serving in kids ministry because they're going to be so consumed with a love for the little ones that we'll just have to say, I'm sorry, you can only serve twice a month in the little ones. I'm sorry. That's the kind of church. I just thought every Sunday was going to be Easter Sunday. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's kind of how I, I felt. 
And, and I have to admit to you that there has been uh, some difficult days in the process. It's been some difficult days. Last week for me um, was one of those difficult days. Now, I'll preface it with this. It was Daylight Savings Day. Uh, I was tired. Y'all were tired. Some of y'all were staying in your bed. And, I, and meanwhile, as, as I came to that, the, that message earlier in the week, man, I was so stirred with this thought that God has come near. And if you were here, you heard that message. I felt, man, God has come near. God's come near to us. I was so excited. I thought, man, I'm just going to speak this and like revival's going to break out. It's going to be amazing. And I, last week, to be honest, maybe this is TMI for you, but to be honest, I felt like the word came out of my mouth. I thought it was just going to go like, oh, man, power. And just came out of my mouth, kind of dribbled down my chin and fell on the floor. <laughs> Anybody ever heard a message like that? Not here. I know that, that wasn't your perception. That was my perception. But man, I, I just had such a tough day. And I went home, and Jen can always kind of tell. It's like, oh. And she's like, what's wrong with you? We did what we normally do on a Sunday evening. We often go walk to the cafe, have a cup of coffee, and just chat and catch up and talk about the week to come. And I was so discouraged. I was so down. I Again, forgive me if this is TMI, but uh, I was so down. I was just like, Jen, I'm done. I am done. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm done. I, I, I tap out. I can't. Anybody ever had a day like that? Yeah. Come on. Is it okay to, say, to tell you the truth that I had a day like that? I was, I was there. I was just, I'm done. I, this is it. I am done. And, uh, and she said, well, why don't you call your dad? So I, I said, okay, I'll call my dad. A little bit of helicopter parenting. Okay, I'll take a little bit. <laughs> Call my dad. And, um, you know, my dad didn't say, you know, son, you're right. That was the, the you know, there was demonic oppression. And the... <laughs> he didn't say that. He just said, son, I've been there. I've done that. I've been there. I've had some times. I've quit many a Monday. Quit the ministry many a Monday. I said, well, <laughs> he said, this is just how it goes. I said, well, that's not how I want it to go for me. And uh, you're not helping me very much. And uh, he said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that in the next 48 hours, God's going to speak something to you that, that would just encourage you. And to be honest, I thought, well, go ahead and pray that. But I just didn't have very much faith. I was like, he's had six hours already, and there has been no encouragement that has come. <laughs> and, uh, okay, Monday, man, I got up. I was like, got to go to Alpha tonight. God, help me. And uh, I love Alpha, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and so I'm, I'm going through the day. Meanwhile, another parallel story. I told you I had two stories. Anders, our son here on the front row, Anders plays baseball. He loves baseball. He's loved baseball since he was little. We try to get him to play soccer because it's kind of Euro cool. But he wanted to play baseball, and, and which, is, which is awesome. Um, and so he has loved baseball since he was just a little guy. He's played for many years, and honestly, he's been, he's been really good. He's been on all-star teams and things like that. But he's just had a tough season, and um, last season and this season. And over the last few weeks, we noticed he was, and I asked him if I could share this before I told, told you. Over the last few weeks, we just noticed he was on the bench, like, a lot. And we're like, what's up with that? Like, he normally plays really good, and... Um, 
you know, Jen, her mama bear tendencies were coming out, and, you know, she's, uh, you know, didn't, I, we kept it together, but I said, well, babe, I'm going to call the, I'll call the coach, I'll call the coach, I'll ask him uh, in a very polite way, and so I called him in a very polite way, and I said, hey, coach, uh, you know, thank you so much for being a great coach, and I said, I, I've noticed Anders has been on the bench a lot lately, and I was just wondering, is, is there anything we can do to help with that? Maybe a hundred bucks. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I said, is there anything that we can do um, to help with that? And he said, he said, I'm, I'm glad. He said, I'm glad you asked it that way. He said, yeah, let me tell you. He said, Anders has gotten timid at bat. He said he was last season, he was on a, a losing team and he's gotten used to, to losing and the drive that he used to have He's lost that drive, and now when he gets up to bat, he's swinging the bat, but he's resigned himself to strike out. I'm listening to that. I'm getting tears in my eyes. I'm going, striking out is a terrible thing. (laughs) And uh, I'm going, God, you're speaking to me through the baseball coach. You know, I share that with you, and, and here's what he said. He said, Anders has the potential to be the greatest player on the team. He's, he can be the best pitcher, the best thrower, the best hitter, but he's got he's to get that fight back. He's got to get that fight back. And I share that with you today because the reality is that every one of us, if you are not in a difficulty right now, you will face difficulty. You will face tribulation, pressure, squeezing, crushing, will come to you. And how we handle difficulty, not whether or not we face difficulty, but how we handle difficulty will determine whether or not we step into God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. Tribulation will come. Difficulty will come. The fact is that the History of any person who has done anything is a history of having to press through difficulty. Bill Gates, before he started Microsoft, can we all agree he's been rather successful at Microsoft? But before he started that, watch watch your mouth, Brad. (laughs) He said better than Apple. Uh, (laughs) Before he started Microsoft, he started a business called Trafodata. Anybody ever been a client of Trafodata? No, no. It's a roadway data reporting company. Did you know that Albert Einstein couldn't talk until he was four years old? Yeah? Uh, most of us have probably heard the name Bethany Hamilton before. Uh, uh, an amazing surfer, a follower of Jesus. But she grew up surfing in Hawaii, and I think when she was about 13 years old, She was attacked by a shark, and it took her arm. And of course, she, I mean, understandably so, had the opportunity to just say, I'm done with surfing. In fact, most of us would say, she's done with surfing. That's it. But she didn't allow that difficulty ultimately to discourage her. She allowed it to shape her. Two years later, she won a women's surfing championship with one arm. Diamonds are formed under pressure. Everybody loves a diamond, but did you know what makes a diamond a diamond is about 
Let me see in my notes. 725,000 pounds per square inch. And thousands of degrees. Was it? I'm sure there's a song that's coming to my mind that talks about I'm a diamond or something. I'm sure I've heard that before somewhere. Who knows? Does anybody know what that song? Shine bright like a diamond. Who's that? I was checking to see. I was checking to see. Everybody, everybody wants to be a diamond. Who wants to go in the pressure cooker? Who wants to have 725,000 pounds of pressure and thousands of degrees? That's what it takes to become a diamond. That's what we have to go through, the pressure, the squeezing, the difficulty. I mean, having a baby. We've got a lot. A lot. <laughs> Come on. All, all the pregnant ladies go, oh, no. I, I, you know, having a baby is wonderful. But how many of you know there is some difficulty in it? The Bible says, Jesus says, there is, there is pain in that moment. And I, I, I tell you this today because if we're going to live the Jesus life together, we have to learn how to press through difficult moments. We cannot have the Snowflake mentality when it comes to our faith. We cannot have the, the shrinking, daisy, withering flower mentality when it comes to following Jesus. We have to have a, a push-through-the-challenges kind of faith. Amen? Anybody want to fulfill everything that God has for you? Okay, you just signed up for pressure. Okay, good. So I want to give you... Out of this passage of Scripture, I just want to look phrase by phrase through John 16, verse 33. And I want to just share with you, I think, some things that are important for us to understand if we're going to deal with difficulty. And I'm going to intermix a little bit of baseball analogies with it. This will probably be the only time you'll hear me reference sports in my message. But look, look at what the Scripture says. Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you. He says, I'm leaving you, but before I go, I just am going to go ahead and tell you in advance. In other words, do not be surprised. If you're going to press through difficulty, tribulation, pressing moments, I think the first thing that you have to do is recognize that they are going to be happening. Don't be surprised. Can you imagine if, a, if a, a coach prepared his batters to hit the ball, but he never told them that they're going to be coming at them at high rates of speed? Can you imagine if it's like, you know, he just never told them the challenge. They would get up there and they'd be like, why are they throwing the balls at me? Right? They, they would be surprised at it. But coaches train them hard because they know that game day is coming. I used to live near a military community in Virginia. And here's what I noticed is even when we were not at war, the military was constantly training as if they were going to be at war, as if they were at war. 
There was never a moment that the coach was just, or the, the general was kind of like, you know, guys, I think this is like a, this is a chill day. I'm feeling like, let's just chill today. Let's just, let's, let's hug it out, guys. Come on in and let's hug. No, that does not happen. Anybody ever been to basic training or boot camp? No? Good. Irrelevant. <laughs> Jarrett was. He's, he's serving in kids. But Jarrett went to boot camp. And you know what happened at boot camp? A lot of yelling at boot camp. They are not very nice at boot camp. Right? Like, it doesn't give you all the feels at boot camp. Why? Because they are trying, they're, they're not concerned about helping them just feel good. They are saying there is a moment that's going to come that bullets may be flying at your head and I want this voice yelling at you, get down, get down, get down, to echo in your mind. And so Jesus says this, I'm just telling you, these things I'm speaking to you in advance, tribulations will come. When it comes to following Jesus, oftentimes we can make it so easy to, to follow Jesus that, that people are shocked when it actually when we face challenges. That's like signing up for boot camp and being like, why are they yelling? Why are they, these guys are like, they're not nice people here at boot camp, right? Jesus said, go make disciples. Our goal is to be disciplined followers of Jesus. And so we cannot be surprised. This is what Paul the Apostle said. He said in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong. How many of you know you don't have to be on guard if there is nothing to guard against? You don't have to be strong if there's never going to be a moment where you have to use your strength. And so he's saying be courageous, be strong. You're going to have to be prepared for challenges to come your way. So the first thing is don't be surprised. The second thing, he says this, he goes on to say, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. He doesn't just say that you may have peace. I've told you this so that you'll have peace. He says, I'm telling you this so that in me you will have peace. Where is the peace? In him. In him. And so if you want peace, he doesn't guarantee peace for everyone. He guarantees troubles for everyone, but he guarantees peace for those who are in him. And so your ability to maintain peace through the challenges of life is determined by your abiding in him. Jesus says this, abide in me. Did you know that a coach does not wait until game day to start practicing? He, he's practicing Way too much, in my opinion. But they're practicing all the time. Why? Because you will not become a great player without having practice. It's the practices 
I had a coach one time in my illustrious athletic career that told me this, practice makes permanent. And so you don't wait until game day to start swinging the bat. You are swinging the bat seven days a week. When I, when I called Anders' coach, here's what he told me. He said, I want you to take him uh, to the, the um, what's that place called? The batting cage. The, the batting cage. Thank you. They got the sticks and it's round. I want you to take him to the batting cage. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to put him in the high-speed cage. I want you to put him in the one that it's like that I wouldn't get in. I want you to put him in that one. Because he, he needs to get comfortable. He needs to get used to that swinging at those kinds of pitches. He needs to start practicing that way. Don't wait until there is an amazing pitcher in front of you. You've got to practice every day like it is game day. And Jesus says, in me you will have peace. So the question is, how do we get in him? It's through abiding in him, which is through the practices of discipleship. That's why we've been talking so much about these basic practices over the last six months. We've been talking about reading our Bible. We've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about worship and gathering together. We've been talking about the discipline of, uh, of um, fellowship and community. And we've been talking about all of these practices. Why? Because those practices is what will determine whether or not you're abiding in Him or not. And I don't want you to wait until you are in the midst of difficulty to begin to learn how to pray. I don't want you to wait, and God doesn't want you to wait, until all hell is breaking loose against you in order to start praying and, and praying with fervor. The Bible says this, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent or the, the passionate, the aggressive, take it by force. And so when they practice in baseball, they don't just kind of like shuffle around the field. They're practicing like they're playing, right? And I, I talked to a friend of mine this week who is a, I knew I was going to be referencing sports. I thought I better be prepared. So I called a friend of mine who is a former um, major league baseball player. And he said this, he said he works now with, he used to play for the Mets and the Brewers, but now he trains uh, outstanding high school and college athletes. And he says, there is a thing that is called flow. He said, flow in his world, flow is when you have practiced something so much, you have developed muscle memory through repetition that when you get up there, even if you are, if you are facing the scariest pitcher in the league, you've gotten so used to the movements, you've gotten so used to it that you're just at rest in that moment. You're just in the flow. The key to making it through difficulty is not waiting until you get into difficulty to begin abiding in Him it is to begin to practice the things that will keep you in the flow of God's presence so that when you face those difficulties, you are prepared for it. It's, it's so key to our lives. That's why I said last week, and I thought about it after, I was like, I shouldn't have said that. I said, do you have to get up first thing in the morning? 
to spend time with the Lord? And I said, yes. But then I went away and I thought, you know, people are going to think that I'm so rigid and legalistic. But let me tell you why I believe that's important. When you go through a difficult circumstance, do you know when difficulty is going to hit you? Let me ask you this. Have you ever gone through a challenging, a really challenging time? Does the difficulty and the pressure and the stress wait until you've had your quiet time in order to come at you? No. It comes at you when you open your eyes in the morning, does it not? I mean, you wake up in the morning and the pressure is coming on you and you wake up, you may feel like I can't even get out of bed this morning because the pressure and the stress and the anxiety that awaits you. Why do you need to spend time with Jesus in the morning? Because when you face difficulty, it will hit you first thing in the morning. And if you have not cultivated the presence of God in the morning, If you have not learned to find that place of abiding in the presence of God, if you've not learned how to get yourself out of bed in the morning, even when you don't feel like it, even when when it's hard and maybe you could rationalize staying in bed an extra 30 minutes, but if you've not learned how to get with Jesus during those times, the difficulty will destroy you. So we have to develop the practices. We've got to learn how to abide in Him. I know sometimes even in worship, and and again, I want wherever we're at, I want one church to be wherever we're at in the journey, whatever our expression of worship is, that you feel at home here. You don't have to feel like, you know, I've got to express worship just like everybody else. But I will say this, that sometimes I feel like we need to push one another. The Bible says this, Push one another, encourage one another, spur one another on towards love and good works. Sometimes we need to challenge one another a little bit, even in worship, when you come into an environment like a daylight savings time Sunday. And you just don't feel like worshiping. Well, what are you going to do when you face some real challenges that cause you to not feel like worshiping? If you've not cultivated, if your prayer life, if you've not cultivated the life that knows how to take hold of God, the moments when there's blue skies and life is easy, what are you going to do when all hell seems to be breaking loose? And so we have to abide in Him. Or I could say it this way, don't skip practice. Don't skip practice. Have you ever noticed that no matter how good someone gets, they're continually going back to the basics? Back to the basics, back to that place uh, in our spiritual life, back to the place of abiding in Him. And Jesus goes on to say this. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. In the world. To which I would like to respond, then can you get me out of the world, please? You read that and you may think, he says, in the world there will be tribulation, but I'm going to get you out of the world. Or I'm going to send an army of angels around. He, doesn't, he just says, you're going to have tribulation in the world. And there's not another option at this point. You're going to be in the world. You're going to have tribulation. In other words, to use the baseball analogy, 
don't leave the box. When, when the pitcher is throwing pitches at you, I don't, or if it was me there, I don't know about you, my natural reaction would be, whoa, out of the way. I'm, I want to get away. There, there's very, you know, very dangerous pitches that are coming through this area. I'm getting out of the way, right? That's our natural tendency is to run from, from danger. It's not comfortable being at bat. It's a lot more comfortable to be in the, the dugout. Like there's snacks in the dugout. It's kind of, you, there's seats in the dugout. It's kind of cozy in the dugout. But did you ever notice that nobody's ever won a game from the dugout? You got to go up to bat. You've got to go to that place of danger. You've got to run towards that that place that you want to run away from. Some of you feel like, God, get me out of this situation. Get me away from it. And God's saying, actually, I put you there because I'm trying to form you. Can you imagine if I had told the coach when he said that to me about Anders, can you imagine if I would be like, do you know how precious that child is to me? <laughs> no, I... It's because I love him that I said, okay, you're going to get back in there. You're going to get in the box. Some of you have tried to run from the place, or you're saying, God, get me out, and you have allowed yourself to get timid, and God's saying, nope, not until you'll get good where you're at will I allow you to move on to ultimately where I have you. John Ortberg said this about dealing with anxiety. He said, peace doesn't come from finding a lake with no storms. It comes from having Jesus in the boat. Did you ever notice in that story of the disciples in the boat, did you ever notice who set the direction for the boat? Jesus. Do you think he just forgot to consult the weather report prior to putting them in the boat? Actually, when you read the story, it almost sounds like Jesus is pushing them into the boat. Get in the boat. Get in the, Peter, get in the boat. <laughs> Why? Because he's bringing us into the place. What did he say when they came to him and they were complaining and, God, we're going to die. Jesus, we're going to die. He says, oh, you have little faith. What was he doing? He was growing their faith. Peace doesn't come from finding a lake with no storms. It comes from having Jesus in our boat. In this world, you will have tribulation. Look at what he says at the end of that verse. He says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm not going to take you out of the world. I'm not going to, you're not going to have a problem-free life, but even in the midst of the problems and the challenges and the difficulty and the danger and the squashing and the squeezing and the stretching, you can rejoice because you know that I have overcome the world. Have you ever noticed there's something about a player that has a winning attitude? Have you ever seen a player in the major leagues kind of walk up to bat, like dragging their bat, just kind of like, no, right? When they get up there, I mean, there is so much like confidence, it's like nauseating, right? 
Might I add that even, I think, the, if I'm not mistaken, even the greatest players uh, miss like 70% of pitches. Is that right? Like 70% of pitches. Like what if 70% of my messages just came out and kind of dribbled down my chin? <laughs> what if like 70% of your, your, your work projects or, were, you know, the, the things that are in your life, what if 70%? I don't know about you, I could tend to lose a little bit of confidence. And the danger is that, that difficulty can result in discouragement. That's why he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In order for you to make it through difficulty, you have to know that God's already won the victory. That's why Hebrews 10.35 says this, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't, don't lose confidence. Maybe you feel like you've struck out a thousand times. Don't lose your confidence. Don't lose the winning attitude. Why? Because Not because of your performance, but because he's overcome the world. This is, 1 John says this. Aaron, maybe you could slip back up to the keys. 1 John says this. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. You may feel like, man, you've just been getting... Struck out, struck out, struck out. But the Bible says this, it's our, what is our victory? It's not our performance, it's our faith. Confidence is another word for faith. Don't lose your confidence, don't lose your faith. It's been said that what determines the greatness of a person is not their performance, but how, how uh, what it takes to discourage them. How many times can they can they face difficulty and continue through it? Amen? I want to just tell a story. I don't know. I know Brad is here. I don't know if Melissa's here. Melissa's there. Awesome. Brad, Melissa, would you guys come up here? So, some of you know, and we won't tell the whole, the whole, whole story today, but, um, and Melissa was serving in kids. And just look at that. Um, some of you know Brad and Melissa um, have been facing a challenge for a number of years. Um, 10 years? 14 years. Um, been, yeah. Had been wanting to have a baby for 14 years. And I remember at the beginning, this is something that we had talked about. They hadn't talked about real publicly. But I remember at the beginning of 2018, we... Uh, some leaders in the church got together and we said, what are we believing for? We talked about every square inch. What are we believing God for? And I remember Brad and Melissa um, saying, 2018, I believe 2018 is the year. And we wrote that down. I actually kept it in my closet. I looked at that. I just carried it as they did in their hearts every day. And to be honest, uh, as the year went on, I began to go, This is, this is getting shorter and shorter. And uh, in December, I remember thinking, man, God. They, they were so in faith, so believing you. They said it was a bold statement. We believe 2018 is the year. And it was one of the last Sundays of 2018. I forget which, if it was the last or second to last or something like that. But we were getting ready to close the service. 
and Jana Welcome was like sitting down here. And I just said, I felt like I wanted to have Jana come and pray to close the service. Anybody remember this? I said, what was it? September. September. Well, I, I was carrying it like it was December. Yeah. A week after your 15-year anniversary. September felt like December, but it was September. That's true. That's true. Uh, so Jana, I said, Jana, would you come up and just pray as we close? Jana came up and she said, actually, I have a word and I wasn't going to share it. But since you gave me the microphone, I think maybe I should share it. I said, yeah, go ahead. She said, I feel like there's somebody here that has been believing God for a baby. And I feel like the Lord has said that you, you've, someone has been married between one and five years and you've been trying to have a baby and you've not been able to have a baby. And I believe that God's going to give you a baby. And um, Brad and Melissa, Brad, I think you were down here. Yeah. But he was there actually praying for other people. Melissa was in her seat. And when Janice said that, I kind of thought, hmm, man, that could be Brad and Melissa, but they've been married more than one to five years. It's not them. And then I saw Melissa getting out of her seat, and I said, claim it. They came forward. They came forward, and, and Brad said, uh, it's not one to five years. It's one five. It's 15 years. <laughs> and I'll let you tell the rest from there, Brad, and, and just what happened in that moment, and then we'll tell where we're at now. I'll just have to back it up. We're talking about prophetic words, but the reason that we made that statement at the beginning of 2018 was we, this is 13 years into our journey, right? And we've done many things and tried many ideas, praying and always trying to be in God's will. When we have a good idea, we're like, is this of you, God, or is this just us being impatient? So we've grown very calm and we have, we've had peace the whole time about just waiting. But um, Justine, actually, in a, in a meeting, like a kind of a team one, I think it was, or something in 2017, said that she, we're just praying, and she said, I have a prophetic word that God's trying to use waiting as a weapon against people that have a promise that are just holding on to it. And we didn't know at that time if that was for us or not, so we just kind of received it and prayed about it a little later. And that's what led us to making that statement in 2018, because then we felt God really respond to that prayer and say, no, I've, I've brought you this far. Uh, he's never given us a timeline. We've never really asked for one. And that was kind of the thing. So we're like, God, are you going to, are you going to make this thing happen? When, it's not too bold, you know, I guess to say like, God, when, you know, we, we're, we know you're going to do it, but share with us when, you know, when is your timing? And so, so that's why we, we said that. So when Jenna came up, we had just been talking about you know, you have so many ideas when you're going through a trial or anything and you're walking through it that long. We've had many ideas. Should we, should we do this medical procedure or should we go see this doctor or should we try this or should we, whatever the case may be, you know, and um, we've never really had peace about that. You know, it's just been, just wait. But after that, you know, statement, we decided we were going to try to, you know, maybe take some medical steps to try to do that. And we were actually going to have a meeting, the two of us, um, that afternoon after service. Like we had gathered a whole bunch of information about a whole different set of options that were available to us. And we were just going to take it to the Lord in prayer. So when Jana got up and said that, we were like, oh man, she's, she's talking about us. And I was like, Justin said, I was over there. So I'm like, well, if, Mel 
decision that day. Yes, we were going to try to decide what we were going to do, how we were going to go forward financially, you know, with work, with just all these other different kind of things. And so I was over there, and I'm like, well, Melissa's at her seat. So if she gets up, then. <laughs> but, you know, it's embarrassing because we're in front of everybody, and we're like, God, I, I don't, this is for us. You know, we're a family, and we're going through this, and, like, do you really need to make it public? But the whole time that we've, we've been going through this, the, it's not about the promise, really. This has never been about the promise that God's given us, but it's always been about the promise keeper and what he's going to do. And we're like, God, please don't take that part of our story away. Don't let this be an opportunity that goes wasted for someone to know that God is faithful and that God is there with you through the trial, through the tribulation. So, so we just, we said, okay, well, we're going to go up and we're going to just receive it because we know that when, when it happens, all these people are going to rejoice with us. And we're like, because we are, we know it. But it's like, if you know something in your heart, then what's the shame in just letting people know? Like, it doesn't matter if it happened already or if it's going to happen. If God said it, it's already done. You know, it's already finished. It's already there. So we're just like, we're just going to go up here and, you know, pride, you have no place in this. You know, we need Jesus. We need this word. We need this word to, to speak to us. And we need this prayer. We need to be covered in it. And we need people to come into agreement with us. So she shared the word and people prayed for us and we were just like okay because you know 2018 is coming and like I thought we were going to have a child in 2018 but then that's in our mind right so then we're like okay well maybe we're going to get pregnant in 2018 so then that's in our mind so then we're like time is ticking and time is ticking and December is coming and then it's January and then you know the next thing you know we're already in March and so we just stood fast in that moment and and just tried to stay faithful and just be at peace you know so that happened on that day significant you were making some decisions that day that you just weren't sure about god speaks to jana she comes forward you guys feel that god's giving you the green light move forward with that and come forward 2019 2019 the year begins and it, honestly I, that's when i was heavy i was just oh felt that. I knew they'd stepped out. I just knew they were in faith. One day, Brad and Melissa say, hey, could we have lunch with you guys? It's like, yeah. Just thought, man, we're going to encourage them. As we sat down at Chipotle, we knew we were in God's will because we we're at Chipotle. <laughs> but <laughs> I forget at what point in the conversation and how you said it, but basically, do you remember, Brad? I just remember the punchline, and we can skip straight to the punchline. Here's the punchline. They're pregnant. They're pregnant. They're pregnant. Would you guys stand up, and let's just give Jesus, come on, let's give Jesus praise today. Isn't that awesome? So the pregnancy began the last week of 2018. The pregnancy began last week of 2018. Come on, isn't God good? When he says it, he will do it. He will do it. Brad, Melissa, thank you guys so, so much. I want to ask you, just stay stay on your feet. Worship team, you guys come back up. You guys stay, stay standing for just a moment. I know today we shared some things that, you know, are personal. I kind of felt, man, should I share this? I don't want people to feel like I'm some, you know, Debbie Downer. <laughs> Brad and Melissa have been having that in their heart of a moment to share, but I believe... 
God wanted you to hear that because God wants to encourage your faith. God wants to encourage you to believe Him for breakthrough in your life. Maybe some of you facing similar circumstances. Maybe you've been in a season of discouragement. You just feel like, God, I can't do it anymore. Maybe maybe you're in a, a moment in work or in any number of places, family situations, and you just feel like, man, it is, it is difficult. It is difficult. In fact, if you just would say that's you, if, if you are in a place, a difficult season, would you just give me a wave? You've been facing difficulty. So many people facing challenges and difficulty. I want you to know God is at work in your life. God is at work. He has overcome. He is victorious. And even while you're in the middle of that, I believe God wants you to begin to praise him. We're going to sing a a song called Raise a Hallelujah. And we've been singing it for a few weeks. And it's an awesome song. It's a song of faith, a song of declaration, a song of victory. The word hallelujah, it means to shout, to yell praise to God. It means to spin around, to dance foolishly and clamorously, to act foolishly. And the scripture is full of stories of people that face difficult circumstances. And God says, even in the midst of that, if you'll begin to praise me, if you'll begin to declare my goodness and my faithfulness, even as Josh said earlier, that his promise is from generation to generation. I believe that God's going to bring breakthrough in your life. And so we're going to just take some time today. I want to ask the prayer team to come forward on each side. If you would go ahead and move forward. We're going to, if you're in a season of difficulty on both sides, we also have communion, the, the, the bread and the cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus. That suffering that Jesus faced that ultimately released every single one of us who puts our faith in him into the greatest victory that we could ever experience. So I want to ask you, and I know we're a little over on time, but if you would to just stay for just a few more minutes, I believe God wants to do something in this moment. And so God, I pray right now, Lord, For those that are facing discouragement, if you're in that place, you want to come for prayer, come forward. If you want to come and receive communion, come forward. But Father, thank you, Lord, for encouragement, Lord, that will come. I pray, Father, for those that have gotten weary in well-doing. Lord, I pray for those that have, have allowed a mentality of defeat to set in. God, I pray, Lord, that they would continue, Father, in faith. That they would continue, God, not just resigning themselves to strike out, but God, that they would... Today, swing for the fences in faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord.